VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly. Well, all right. Linda Swain in for Patty Daly, who is off this week and uh, probably doing a lot of shoveling, <laughs> like all of us uh, in this portion of the island anyway. The worst of that winter's storm uh, it appears to be over and the cleanup begins. But uh, be careful out there. That's some pretty heavy, claggy snow. It's a different type of snow. I can't explain it. Uh, except that you'll know <laughs> when you put your shovel in it what I'm talking about. Uh, when you're going out and around, as uh, things slowly start to open up again, uh, be aware that some roads are still narrow and those snow banks are rather high, especially here in the metro region. Uh, and you're not going to see sometimes people uh, clearing their driveways, you know, when they're trying to get at that heavy stuff at the bottom of their driveway or with the snow blowers when they're backing out. So please be aware of that when you start getting back and th- roads are going to get busy. When I drove in this morning, it was, I virtually had the road to myself. It was kind of nice, actually. But uh, as things start to reopen, especially the schools, and we'll keep you up to date on all of that, uh, especially the schools, um, we're going to, uh, it's going to get busier. And so please be careful, be mindful, um, especially around those high snow banks for pedestrians and people, you know, clean, cleaning out their driveways and, and kids waiting on the bus stops. And we'll, uh, as I said, we'll give you a uh, update this morning on the schools and other things that are closed due to the weather conditions. We expect some updates shortly. Well, you may recall yesterday on Open Line, if you were listening, that uh, we heard from NDP leader Jim Din about the housing crisis in Newfoundland and Labrador. And I see CBC now reporting that uh, the budget for emergency housing has gone from $120,000 for the entire year, 2018 to 2019, to nearly $2.5 million in the first nine months of the 2022-23 fiscal year. That's extraordinary, an increase of 1,900%, due in part to the reliance on hotels to house people in need of emergency shelter. Well, the question I put to Jim Din yesterday when he was raising this very important issue was, what's going on? What's changed so dramatically over the last little while? And I guess that's the crux of the issue, isn't it? What is behind the change? Well, 200 people, uh, 280 people, sorry, slept in shelters last weekend, uh, according to a CBC report, nearly quadruple pre-pandemic numbers. Is there any one reason or are there a variety of reasons? The VOCM question of the day, of course, is related to all of that. It's not scientific by any means, but more than half of those who responded, 56%, indicated that they or someone they know have had trouble finding an apartment or housing. And I've heard it. I've heard it especially among uh, people I know, uh, younger people who, you know, haven't got the money for a down payment on a mortgage, who have to rely on uh, rental properties and some of the real significant headaches that they've had trying to find an apartment. We've even seen cases where people are lined up and and they're being interviewed for the apartment like what has changed what is different 
Is it because we had this little bit of a lull in building during COVID and so um, those kinds of properties aren't being built? Is it because apartment buildings that were previously apartment buildings had been renovated and turned into condos? Is it because a lot of people with uh, secondary um, property are renting it out for short-term accommodations, i.e. Airbnb. What is it? Is it a combination of things? Is it because people aren't willing to rent a property to people anymore? I don't know, but I'd like to hear from our audience. I want to hear from both tenants what they faced and I want to hear from landlords about what they faced or anybody who's had a property and what contributed to you know their decision to change it from one thing to another thing what is contributing to the housing crunch that we've been hearing so much about over the last little while perhaps the minister wants to weigh in it turns out that three separate objects shot down. We were talking about this uh, earlier in the week. If you recall, uh, there was a flood of these objects seen over North American airspace that were shot down um, by NORAD, either um, I think it was all Americans that uh, shot them down, but uh, one in Canadian airspace, the other very close to Canadian airspace over Lake Huron. Um, and it turns out that three of those four objects are likely benign. And of course, there's been a lot of heightened awareness following that massive balloon spotted drifting over North America that was eventually shot down off the Carolinas, what was that, about two weeks ago. U.S. military officials still saying they believe that that particular balloon was used for surveillance. But uh, obviously, uh, people are a little bit prickly about these things now and very aware of what's floating around in the sky uh, so they've been um, extra vigilant and so they should be I suppose uh, you, you know when you know the possibilities but uh, thankfully three of those uh, likely benign probably privately owned one of them even sounded like a kite I'm not sure <laughs> but anyway there you have it I'm not uh, that's just my observation no one else's but uh, anyway if you have any thoughts on that you're certainly welcome to give us a, a call and yesterday the conversation about obstetrical services in central Newfoundland really started to take off um, of course um, the idea is is that uh, with the health accord the two hospitals that are in relatively close proximity in central newfoundland the, the james Payton memorial hospital in gander and the central regional health um, facility there in grand falls windsor they're about an hour apart on the highway but they serve two absolutely distinct and vast regions um, so the question is is that obstetrical services apparently will be provided at one or the other. And we heard from uh, Grand Falls Windsor Mayor Barry Manuel last week indicating that it is going to be Grand Falls Windsor. Well, that has the people, of course, in the Gander and surrounding area out to Bonavista Bay, Notre Dame Bay, uh, that whole region. That's got them um, expressing some concerns. And we're going to hear more about that, no doubt, through the... I see some lo uh, calls lining up there now. Le well, let's, let's take some. Uh, what do you say, David? We're going to start the show... Uh, this morning in central Newfoundland, we're going to speak with Rex Barnes. Hello, Rex. How you doing, Linda? Great. Long time no chat. Yes, absolutely. It's been a long time. So I understand I, you wanted to weigh in on this issue. 
Yeah, I, I thought I, I normally don't weigh in on much the political arena lately, but uh, this one here, I think that we need to take the politics out of this decision, if there's any such thing as politics in this decision. But uh, uh, and I will say is that uh, if if you cannot staff both hospitals, Gander and Grand Falls, I would have to say that Grand Falls Windsor would be the best location. However, again, uh, we the two hospitals serves uh, the geographics is enormous, and I think that people are not looking at the bigger picture. And the bigger picture for me would be is that patient safety and a newborn safety. Uh, you know, it's bad enough when you have a complicated delivery in a hospital. Can you imagine having a complicated delivery in an ambulance from Glovertown that's going to have the bypass gander and go right on to Grand Falls, Windsor? I mean, you're talking the enormous time frames, and I think that uh, both institutions should be delivering OBS services for patient safety and newborn safety. And if they do not do that, I do believe there's going to be problems down the road. Now, I'm, I'm told, and this is a conversation I had with uh, Percy Farwell, the mayor of Gander, some time ago. He indicated that, you know, emergency services will still be there. So if you are um, uh, in labor um, and, you know, it's not, <laughs> you're not going to make it to Grand Falls, Windsor, you will be able to go to Gander. But there will no, be no, I guess, full-time obstetrics there. Yeah, but listen, in order to do give the mother and give the baby in any complicated situation, anybody can deliver in most times a normal delivery. I mean, we've, we've heard about it. We've seen it. We've heard taxi drivers helping out the mom delivering in the back of a taxi or bystanders in a normal delivery. But, you know, when you get a complicated delivery, and, and if you haven't got a, a unit that's going to take care of the baby and the mother, I think you're going to run into trouble. And, and there's going to be time delays. There's going to be problems. And, I mean, I've been in the EMS field for going on over 30 years. And I can tell you, it's no fun if you've got a complicated delivery in the back of an ambulance and you're an hour away from the hospital. I can tell you there's going to be trouble. I think government needs to reevaluate it. I think government needs to, if, if they can find the appropriate staff, to do the boat services at these two institutions, Gander and Grand Falls Windsor, they need to keep those services. This is priority for as I'm concerned. If not, I, all I can see is dangerous situations for the mom and dangerous uh, situations for the baby. I mean, there's times, for example, in Springdale that we've had a doctor and a nurse travel with the ambulances to come into Grand Falls. I mean, you're still two hour, hour and 40 minutes away you know, probably two hours, you know, and because the need, need, need is there to take a doctor at the hospital so they so then they, they can't provide emergency service for car accidents or other events. And that's, if that don't happen, there's going to be a loss of life. And, and I really believe that. And that's why today I said I must call in because we've got to look at the patient safety and the newborn safety uh, to, to, to give the mother and the baby in a complicated delivery. Uh, the footing chance to survive.
Any idea why it's come down to one or the other? I don't know. I think what what has happened is that they're saying that the area is too small to have two of these services. Probably, I don't know, because I really haven't kept up on it. But I'll, I'll tell you right now is that the geographics in Central are very unique and different. It's okay to say, well, St. John's can do it because of the distance and everything else. But you've got to realize, uh, I'm not 100% sure on this, but I'm sure the paramedics and the and the advanced care paramedics can probably tell you or someone can tell you. I, I, I would think that every ambulance that runs St. John's is apparently could be an advanced care paramedic, and they have the fire department responding. So they have an enormous amount of uh, qualified people to, to well to respond, and and the EMS in Central is probably first. It is first class, I can tell you, and can match anything of St. John's or any area in Atlantic Canada and Canada. But the thing about it is that the geographics when you're traveling. I mean, it's bad enough. I mean. I can tell you that, listen, we've responded from Grand Falls, Windsor, to meet an ambulance coming up from Bay to Spare in a complicated delivery. And I tell you, we had to take a nurse and a doctor out of the eMERGE to go down and meet the ambulance halfway because of a complicated delivery. Yes, it was success. It was a very successful story, but it could have been gone the other way. It could have been a bad story. And... You know, we need to, if government can do anything at all, we need to maintain the two OBS services in central Newfoundland for patient safety and the newborn safety. And I think that people are forgetting about that. And Rex, you're mentioning, I mean, you're, um, that's your career as an EMS, but um, we're now hearing from municipalities who are saying, you know, that's if ambulance services are available. In many cases, the ambulance service might not be available. They're busy doing a transfer or they're doing, uh, taking care of another emergency in another area. We've heard about some ambulances that haven't been staffed and so they're parked and you have to rely on an ambulance from another area. And so this all gets downloaded then onto fire departments who are the first line of, of um, you know, emergency response. So that's for areas that have EMS. What about when an ambulance isn't available? And, and that's going to be a big problem because, listen, we hear every day about certain things are happening with regards to ambulances are not available for this and this, in, you know, in the outlying areas. And this could be, this could be bad. I mean, I, I mean, I can't, I can't stress the importance of patient safety and newborn safety. And I, I, I think they forgot about that. They're just looking at dollars and cents. And, again, the geographics, the, the time frame of transporting people. And it's, it's okay to say, yeah, well, they can drop in the gander. But, listen, things don't work as smooth as you think as that you know i mean when a baby's ready to come and there's a complication there's complications and you got to act quick and you got to make sure that uh, you got the proper staff with you to handle that care i mean how many times have you heard from probably family members or friends that we had a good delivery at one of the hospitals but the baby went sour on uh, you know when the baby well baby was born well you got respiratory techs at, at your right at your beck and call yeah, and but even in a even in a hospital set, a setting, things can go downhill very fast. Yeah, and, and imagine you imagine being on the road between between Norris's arm and Grand Falls or Norris's arm and Gander, and the baby goes sour. You got no respiratory tick. The EMS crew 
the paramedics, and if you've got an ACP, are very well trained to, to make sure they do the best care they can to, to, well, to save that child. But listen, it puts everyone at risk, the safety. There's a high risk. And you talk about burnout and stress among paramedics and doctors and nurses. Well, I tell you, this is going to increase two and threefold. I, I can't express... Uh, I can't express so so bad the expression, you know, that you've got to try to govern, got to keep those two old, old OPS units going. And unfortunately, if they're going to have one, I, I firmly do believe that Grand Falls Windsor is the best location with with the, the best uh, num- number of staff and, and qualified people and everything else. Because I know that over the years that uh, we've all heard that from time to time this unit's closing and again or Grand Falls because we haven't got the proper staff. Well, we've got to have the proper staff. If we can find the proper staff, we need to make sure that both units stay open. And for my, like, again, the reason why I'm calling today, I think it's a patient care, a patient safety issue, and I do believe it's a newborn safety issue. And I think that uh, if we don't look at those issues, I think that we're going to be in trouble and we're going to hear a lot of bad stories. And the only person to blame, in my view then, is the provincial government because they had an opportunity to do what's right and to make sure that both services are kept for patient safety and newborn safety. Rex Barnes, I appreciate your call this morning. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you very much, Linda. All righty. Bye-bye. Yeah, bye. And uh, I'd like to hear what you have to say about that or anything else. We do have some lines open. Now is your chance to give us a call. And we're back. Linda Swain in for Patty Daly. We are going to go now to Darlene. You're on the air. Hi, Darlene. Hi, Linda. Thank you for taking my call. Yeah. Um, I was listening to your show yesterday and Mayor Tiller speak about the possible removal of the obstetrics in Ganner Hospital. And uh, just now listening to Rex, he hit the nail on the head with just about everything that we are concerned about in our area. And as a mayor of the, uh, my town in Hare Bay, um, I would just like to bring up uh, a few things as well, Linda. Um, if we lose our obstetrics in Canada, my fear is will we lose our pediatrics department as well? What's going to keep the pediat- uh, pediatricians in our hospital then? And are we going to bring more sick fam- or children into cars and on the highways if we don't have a pediatrics unit in our Gander Hospital? Darlene, just for for the benefit of our listeners, you started the show, uh, all I have is your name, Darlene, but you say that you're the mayor of Hare Bay. What's your name? Yes. Darlene? Collins, sorry. Darlene Collins. Of course you're a Collins. You're from Hare Bay. Yeah, yeah, so this is obviously a big concern to you. I noticed uh, as well the town of Dover tweeting about it as well. Yeah, yeah. And, um, Linda, not only do we have to worry about that, like it's a snowball effect, and, and if we lose this department, chances are getting it back is probably never going to happen. So we have to do everything we can to um, keep it, in my opinion. And like Rex just said, the safety of our our women and their unborn babies and their babies, like one life is one too many, in my opinion. And we need to... Uh, the, the policymakers just have to come out, and I implore them to come out and talk to our citizens. The just the, the thought, Linda, of um, like he was t- uh, talking about the uh, ambulance service. 
our ambulance service is strapped, our hospitals are strapped, and Ganner Hospital now, with the diversions and the lack of family doctors, most people know the wait times in there. Now, you add to the mix of a, a person going in there to deliver a baby. Now, what happens? Yeah, that's fine. They're in the hospital. That's all well and good. That's, that's okay. But what happens? God forbid they need a C-section. And there's no obstetrics there to, to help guide that. Now, after all that's said and done and they have a smooth delivery, they still have to be transported, Linda, from that Ganner Hospital and all the elements with that newborn, be put into a, an ambulance and carted off to Grand Falls with their partners behind them in a car, unaware of the status, if anything changed for their partner or their, their newborn baby until they get to Grand Falls. Excuse me. Yeah, imagine the panic. Um, and panic. and depending on the weather conditions, and we can see that on a day like we've had in the last 24 hours or so. And, Linda, I don't want to reiterate what he just said because he did a fabulous job. I just want to bring up the point that if we don't, we have mothers that can't get an ambulance, and you take from Wesleyville. Um, we've got poor cell phone coverage in our area, and there's quite a few dead zones. So, God forbid, a, a woman goes into labor in a car and their partner has to deliver a baby. Now they can't call for help. That partner is forced to leave their their uh, partner in the car with a newborn baby, and there could be complications, and there may not be, but they're out in elements, whether uh, darkness of night, whatever the case may be, and flag down vehicles. Is that what our policymakers are prepared to let our citizens and and become, and that's what's going to become of our people in this area? Any idea what uh, went into the decision-making process here? Is it based on um, demographics? Is it based on numbers? What? Any idea? I'm As far as I can gather, Lynette, um, it said that 60% of the babies are being born in Grand Falls. But we also had diversions in the last year. And if don't quote me, but if I'm not mistaken, I think those numbers were taken from that last year. So the numbers may not be exactly, but I could, be stand, I could stand corrected on that. But my point is, Linda, in regards to, like, you know, you hear the Grand Falls Gander issue and what have you, but this is so much more than just a Grand Falls Gander issue. This is lives at stake issue. And like Rex just said, we're going to lose lives. It's not a, it's not a question that it might happen. It will happen. Eventually it's going to happen. And that's why I called in today. Darlene Collins, Mayor of Hare Bay, I really appreciate your call this morning. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Alrighty. Bye-bye. We're going to go now to Chess. You're on the air. Hi, Chess. How are you, Linda? I'm good. How are you? Uh, not bad and not good. All right. I got, I got a question for you. Now, they're on talking about people that's on the street, nowhere to go and everything else. I blame that on the government for seniors and other people. I'm going to tell you a little story here now. Lisa, the rent, okay, I'm sitting at a house with me and my son, right? My sixth son. Guess what? Uh, you got a job to find a place for five fifty a month. And you'll never find it for five fifty a month. And and now the landlord wants another $200 out of me because you got the rent increased, Right? Are you still there? Oh, I'm listening. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, yeah. The rent increased $200, and I'm there paying 1100 now. And the rent might be increased again for another 200 
But you know where that $200 is coming from? My food money. The government's only paying five fifty for you a month for apartment for a month. Where can you get a place? You can't get a, a you shed. Can't. No, not, you can't get not a place for five fifty. You can't. No. no, no, you can't get a shed in someone's back garden for five fifty a month. And that's the reason why the half of the people around the streets that are in the garden place, down in place, they got nowhere to go. The rent is only the government should increase the, the rent a bit more than what they're paying. You know what I mean? So that's the subsidy that you get right now, five fifty for your rent. Yes, yes. And you are paying, you said twelve hundred? Eleven hundred now. Eleven hundred. Yeah, because we're sharing an apartment between two of me and my six son, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. And he pays five fifty. Now, I gotta take that two hundred out of my food money to pay for the rent. Out of my rent check, do you know what I got for a month to live out for food then? A hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah, that's not going to get you very far, is it? No, no. And these six people live out that kind of stuff. And they're out there forcing them eat pumps, whatever they got. I'm the seniors, and I'm poor people. And sure, Linda, it's going to be harder if they don't soon do something about it. You know what I mean? Right? How can you survive on $150 a month of food when it takes 200 out of my check for rent? Have you raised this with your MHA? Who's your MHA? Yes, yes. Uh, John Din, I think he is. John Din. I'm after receiving it from everybody, girl. I'm after phone everybody. And seems like to me, they don't care if you're on the street or nowhere to go. That's why you got people sleeping in the parks, nowhere to go, sleeping in bus shelters, because you can't get a patent for five fifty a month now. That's back in the olden days. Yeah, it's changed well, dramatically since then, hey. Yeah, when I had my first patent, I was only 19. I was only paying three fifty a month then. He's light and clouded, right? And the cost of living has gone up every day. Made no wonder the landlord wants to spend extra money, you know what I mean? Keep it going. Yes, right? and I mean, uh, interest rates and the like have gone up skyrocketed, yeah, so a, a landlord yeah. is going to have to raise the rent. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And they're forcing people on the street. My dear, I say, within another few months, you're going to see more on the street than you ever shake a stick at. You just watch what's going to happen. Chess, everything is going up. Chess, you're raising an excellent point. I'd like to hear what others have to say about it. In fact, we're going to try and get uh, the Minister of uh, NL Housing and um, uh, well, Children, Seniors, and Social Development, John Abbott. Yeah, I was talking to the one into the uh, new friend lab at Rising. He's playing my case to him. He said, that's shocking. That's shocking. Right? It's shocking. So, look, Linda, if I want a dollar now to go put a large loaf of bread, I don't have it. I don't have it to go and get it. If I don't have it, I got to do that. Right? That's ridiculous. You know what I mean? And my young fella got to bring like a three-year-old and he's 36. Right? And and sure, and you're only giving him a small bit of money because he's living with me. Yeah, so you got enough on your plate. Yeah, right? But anyway, he's living with me. I'm not going to turn me back on because he's my son. His mother died. His mother died years ago, seven or eight years ago. Right? You know, and uh, why should I turn me back on my son? Sure, he don't even have enough money to, to buy, and buy a can of drink for himself if he wanted it. Right? Chess, I, I really appreciate your call this morning. We'll see what others have to say. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for your call.
Yeah. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. And we're going to take a very short break. When we come back, we hope to hear from you. Weekdays on VOCM, it's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. And we're back. We're going to go now to Nick. You're on the air. <clears throat> Hi, Nick. Good morning, Linda. Uh, i got to agree with all these people in the small communities about the hospitals and situations that they're all in. You know, send them all to the main cities to overwhelm the main cities that are already overwhelmed. It doesn't make sense. Uh, our, our liberal government's got to open their eyes. Uh, you know, these people have done nothing since they've been in the office. You know, out trying to make a new St. Clair's. We don't need that. We think that could be put on hold for another five, ten years. You know, we don't need that hospital right now. I mean, uh, all this money that's coming for health care from the federal government, let's uh, boost up all these smaller communities and uh, get their ha- hospitals all back in order. I mean, this is where it's got to be taking place. I mean, you know, you can't be having people on the highways, you know, trying to drive to St. John's from, say, Whitburn or uh, so forth. I mean, this is getting out of hand. Well, I mean, uh, in the case of uh, Whitburn, um, uh, obviously, that's that's a recruitment and retention issue, and the uh, government is working on that, but it's it's not an easy solution. Yeah, well, you know something, when you're trying to place somebody in a community that's uh, only about a couple thousand people out there, you know, maybe uh, what you're offering them just ain't enough to draw them in there. You know, building a new hospital, yes, he, he, uh, Fury thinks that it's going to bring all these new doctors. If you don't got the manpower, okay, right now to man up a hospital, why in the hell are you trying to build it? You, you, I mean, you don't got enough nurses, you don't got enough doctors, you don't got enough paramedics. I think Fury's living on a, a hope, a, hope, a windful hope to think that he's getting in on the next election because I tell you, I think this just woke the people up of how stupid he really gets on with. I mean, this has got to stop. You know, this overwhelming uh, bigger major hospitals, and then keeping all the younger, all the smaller ones empty with nobody in them. I mean, this is this is crazy. You know, it's going to cost people their lives. I mean, on the highway, I drive back and forth to my tents, and I tell you, if anybody's ever going to drive that highway in uh, treacherous snow weathers that we are after driving in, with uh, someone that's on board had given birth or sick or uh, or something or a limb hanging off or a finger cut, I mean, you know, it's it's going to be even worse. I mean, we find it hard enough as it is. Not to mention no, and, moose uh, on the road. Well, the moose, I mean, that's just like uh, targets uh, on the highway that's jumping out in front of you all the time. I mean, you, you got that as well, you know. So, and then you got snow plows that are not 24 hours when it's uh, when it's uh, snowstorms like this. They wait till 5 o'clock in the morning to get on the road. I mean, that's that's the most outrageous thing I've ever seen. You got three major projects. You got Long Harbor, you got Argentia, and you've got uh, Cumbachens out there with thousands of workers driving that highway every morning and every night, and no, no 24-hour snow clearing on top of that. And then you've got, uh, you know, uh, Argentia's got a shift out there for night shift, 5 p.m. to 3 a.m. These workers are getting off before uh, the snow plows hit the road. So you tell me how, how smart our government really is, because I tell you, I find it's not a grain of sense in that office. Not a grain of it. He's best off going back to being a surgeon. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just getting out of hand. I mean, I hope people in Newfoundland open their eyes this time and stop voting liberal. This has got to stop. Nick, I appreciate anyway, your call this morning. This is my spiel for today. <laughs> All right. Thanks for your call. No problem. All right. Bye-bye. Uh, yeah, 24-hour snow clearing. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, give us a call. We're going to go now to, well, it's a call about snow clearing. Hi, Tracy. Hi, good morning. How are you? Good. Good. Um, I'm calling about the 
actually is not the snow clearing of the city. It's a snow clearing of Canada Post. Uh, my daughter lives in Mount Pearl. I had to come in from Marystown for an appointment, and I had to park in someone else's driveway because Canada Post is clearing snow from their mailboxes on the side of the road and pushing it into her driveway. She works from 7 in the morning to 7 at night. She does shift work, and sometimes it could be 7 in the night to 7 in the morning. So if she's working all night from 7 till 7 a.m., when she gets home in the morning, most times the snow plow is after coming through from Canada Post and clearing their snow boxes, fine and dandy. Everybody needs to get to the mail, yes. But they're putting it in her driveway. Right now they have about 6 feet of her driveway, and it's big chunks of ice big chunks of snow she can't remove it herself so she called the city hall they told her she has to call canada post she called canada post and canada post told her that um, somebody would be there within 24 hours now she told them i was coming in from marystown on monday for an appointment and i would need to park in her driveway as, as well and she told him she needed it done before it got too late because I needed to park there with her. And um, they said, well, the best we can do is tell you 24 hours someone will be there. <clears throat> so yesterday afternoon, well, we all know about the storm on Monday night and all day yesterday. So yesterday around maybe 4.30, somebody showed up, but it wasn't anyone to clear her driveway. They pushed more snow from the side of the road where the mailboxes were, pushed it up into her driveway more again. Now, she had already called someone to come clear her driveway, and uh, she thought that's who it was. So she went out and saw what they were doing, and she went over and she said to him, like, you're not supposed to be pushing any more snow into my driveway. You're supposed to be taking it out, not pushing it in. And he said, somebody's supposed to be coming tomorrow to do that, my dear. And I, and right now, i got a job to do, and I don't care what you say. And he just rode off, and like they could push it the other way. The other way up the street, there's uh, just fence. There's a secondary driveway from someone who lives on a corner, but nobody uses the driveway. So why can't they push it the other way, or why can't they just remove it, bring a truck with them, or whatever? Because here she is. She's only uh, she's only a young girl. She's uh, 27 years old, and uh, she has to get out and shovel it herself. And the boulders are so big, she can't even move them. I mean, it's not fair. She's paying yeah. her rent. She's looking after, you know, she's doing whatever has to be done. She shovels her snow when she needs to shovel it. But now they're pushing all this snow in her driveway. And there's nothing worse, I can guarantee you, than coming off a long shift and having to shovel your way in <laughs> um, after shoveling yourself out. Yeah, it's yep. very frustrating. So why are they pushing it, I wonder? Is there a more efficient way that they could be doing that? I like I said I don't know why they can't even push it the other way. The other way there's there's nobody it's nobody's driveway that they use on a daily basis. It's a secondary driveway because it's a corner lot. So they use the lot in front of their house not on the side. So um, they could push it up that way. Maybe they've had issues with the with the property with people who tenants or whoever lives on the other side. I don't know. But you know, like, why can't they push it somewhere else or bring a truck with them and put it in the back of a truck and remove it? You're raising some pretty good questions. I'd like to hear what others have to say about that. I'd like to know how, I'd like to know why they can't push it the other way or why can't they bring a truck with them and just remove it if it's 
I mean, putting it in a young girl's driveway who's trying to work and keep everything going, everything is hard enough. And then to come home, like I said, probably after working a, a day shift from a 12-hour shift and then end up having to come home and try to dig all of that out as well. Like, it's just not fair. I don't understand. So today, I mean, I've had to park in someone else's driveway. If not, I would have had to park on the street, which then would give me a $75 ticket. Who can afford to be paying $75 tickets when you have a driveway that you can't get into because somebody else has filled it full of snow? All right, Tracy, we'll see what others have to say. Really appreciate your call this morning. Thank you so much. Have a All great right. day. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Have you encountered problems with uh, that kind of thing where um, Canada Post in particular is clearing out the uh, mailboxes, which has to be done, and if they are not done, you are, you'll hear people complain about that as well because you need access to your mailbox. Um, but is there a better way? Uh, give us a call. Let us know what you have to say about that. We're going to go now to Bob Tucker. Hello, Bob. Good day, Linda. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? Well, I'm going to tell you something right now. Patty Daly better be careful because you're going to take his job. You're, you're doing better than he's doing. He's uh, more than welcome to his job. <laughs> I got a lot of other stuff to do. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying that, Linda, now to get him wound up, right? <laughs> no problem. Yeah. The thing I'm calling about today, my dear, I was to say, happy Valentine's Day to you, I passed, and all your listeners. you got a great show. You're doing a great deed for the, everybody, especially old men and women like me. Well, I'm glad to hear that, uh, Bob. Yeah. The thing that bothers me a lot is, is the problem we got here now, I think, maybe it's just my opinion only, money. Money is the makings of the devil. I'm not religious. I'm a Protestant. That's not my fault, but I do believe in God. Now, Start from the beginning. When I went to work, not the beginning, I'm sorry about that, start back years ago, when I went to work, I went to work for $1 a day. And for that was from daylight to dark. That's what I got paid in the garden, weeding and digging and cutting up wood. But anyhow, now, much craves more, my dear. And money is a bad, bad thing. We needed to live. We needed to keep going, but every time food goes up, wages goes up, oil goes up, gas goes up, and where's it going to end to? It's a sad situation to handle this deal that's on the go because there's never going to be an end to it. I don't think so. I'm trying to figure it out. I'm an old man, and, and I don't just don't understand this. So you say you don't understand it, but what do you think is the solution? We have to uh, clean the house, start from the beginning, go back to when people help people. You can't get nobody to shovel your driveway today. I asked a young, boy, young man to shovel my driveway about 20 foot long, and he charged me $40. $40 back then, me, that would be 40 days' work. I'm not begrudging the young fella the money for shoveling the driveway, but the system is broken, broken badly. And we need to fix it, and we need to fix it right now. If we don't, 
I pity the poor people that got to live on the face of this earth. Bob, I appreciate your call this morning. Thank you. And I really appreciate your show. And you're doing a good job. Keep up the excellent work. And I want to say thank you and happy Valentine's Day to all your listeners. And may the old man above be with you. Over and out. Same to you, Bob. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Over and out. And we'll be back uh, right after this. And we're back, and you know, it's been 41 years. Can you imagine 41 years since Newfoundlanders and Labradorians were waking up to the terrible news that something very significant had happened in the, um, well, fledgling offshore industry. The Ocean Ranger, of course, went down in a storm, not unlike the one that we just encountered in this portion of the province, uh, but with... uh, absolutely uh, enormous winds, hurricane force winds, ocean sea states uh, 50 feet or more. Um, And uh, the Ocean Ranger went down. 84 people lost on that drill rig and um, more besides. Um, A listener brought to our attention that uh, it took the lives of at least three divers who were trying to refloat the rig after the disaster. Um, So yeah, it was such... And enormous. I wasn't living in Newfoundland and Labrador at the time. I was going to school uh, up along, and even with that amount of distance, but with the very strong connections to Newfoundland, I remember how uh, profoundly that it uh, affected me as a as a very very young student. So I'd like to hear what others have to say about that. Forty one years. We're going to go now to Lindy. You're on the air. Good morning. Hi, Lindy. How's it going? Good. That's the main thing. Linda, some time ago I applied for this uh, rebate for insulation offered by uh, Newfoundland Light and Power. The home heating rebate? Yeah. Okay. No, not the home heating rebate. The, you insulate oh, the, 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 uh, and the, you, you get so much back for your for the cost of your, insula- of your insulation. Right. Okay. I got you. Okay. Now, in order to, uh, you had to wait eight weeks in order to get an answer. That was the first thing. But the thing that gets me, I had a, a letter come yesterday from Newfoundland Power, and it's not shown in any of their ads with regards to the insulation. I had a contractor come in and, and, and do my basement with, with, with insulation, okay? Yeah. Hello? Yes, no, yeah, uh, go ahead. Oh, you got <laughs> No, I heard a click. I thought you were gone. But, uh, yeah, so uh, uh, I was expecting to get something back for the insulation anyway. But I got a letter yesterday from Newfoundland Power. I'm sorry, sir, but uh, your insulation is not up to requirements. It has to be R18 insulation. All right, and what did you have installed? I had R12. That was what the contractor put in. Okay, and the contractor I felt that was... In- he didn't know the difference either. I see. Because, like I said, it's not in any of their ads. I can read it to you right here now. Get insulation. Get cozy. Get rebates. Yes, even oil heated homes, too. Get money back when you insulate your your attic and basement. And, by, and when you install programmable and electric thermostats. I don't mind that. These upgrades help you you use less energy too, so they give the the savings go on and on. Get back up to two thousand dollars 
uh, basement and attic insulation. But it doesn't say here, anywhere, that you have to have R18 insulation. So, and when you applied for it, was there any condition put on it when you applied for it? No, none. Not on their application. Was nobody that said it so has to meet this standard, it has to be R18? Say again? It, there was nothing to say it has to meet a certain standard, it has to meet R18? No. No, none whatsoever. I got a, uh, a receipt, whatever, from uh, my contractor for the insulation. And like I said, it was R12 insulation. And uh, like I said, first I know he, he didn't know anything about it. I, I don't know anything about it anyway. But no, this is what I get yesterday. I'm sorry, sir. You're it's, it's you you cannot you're not uh, 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 suitable or whatever for this. And how did they know it was the R12 and not the R18? They uh, because I sent in a statement from my contractor where it was done. Oh, okay. So he he added on a statement: "R12 installation is off." Okay, very good. Apparently, it's on the website. Uh huh. So I don't know if you checked that out or not. That's fine if it's on the website, but who says you've got a computer? Yeah. Yeah, you know. No, I don't think I don't think that's right. So you were hoping for a rebate to get this done, and you're not getting anything back. Not getting nothing back. Got to be R18 insulation. So I just thought I'd pass that along to anybody who maybe wants to do this. Yeah, and just check with your contractor. Does it meet the standards so I can get the rebate? Yeah. Yeah. I knew there was a catch. There's always a catch. Yeah. Guaranteed. Lindy, I'm glad you told us about your situation. I'm sorry you're not getting any money back from it. Is your basement cozier? Are you noticing a difference? Oh, guaranteed. Big difference. Big, big difference. This is an older, I mean, this is an older home. And uh, as far as putting in insulation, you can't put in, you can't put in, uh, uh, somebody, something got to hold up. And with mine, it was two by four. You know, something has to hold the insulation up. Yeah. And it was all done with two by four, and the insulation was put in, and then there was a coating of plastic put right over the insulation. Yeah, well, I mean, there's only so much room. Not like homes today with six-inch walls. Yeah, so you had it all put in, and you find a, a difference now in your heat bill? Oh, I hope to tell you, big difference. Amazing, yeah. Big difference. The basement is warm. The basement is always warm and dry. Well, that's good to hear. Uh, at least you benefited to that degree, <laughs> Lindy. I, <laughs> I appreciate your call. Too bad you're not getting a rebate, though. Yeah, but like I said, I just want to put it on there for people who maybe want, maybe going going to try to do it, and then get a letter back saying, no, no, you have got the radio insulation. All right, appreciate that, Lindy. Thanks. Thank you very much. All right, bye bye. Bye bye. Yeah, and I guess lesson learned: uh, check with your contractor to make sure it meets the standard, and uh, check with uh, the website. I suppose it's all right there, uh, and I think it's a different. Um, uh, level of insulation required for your attic versus your basement. It, anyway, we, um, anybody who happens to know more about that, they can give us a call. We're going to go now to Marie. You're on the air. Good morning. Hi, Marie. Hi. Uh, I thought Patty was on today, but uh, you, you'll do just as well. 
Uh, great. <laughs> uh, the reason why I'm calling is uh, I have a sister, and uh, I'm trying to get help for her. She got uh, five discs leaning up against five nerves, which is a tremendous amount of pain. And uh, uh, she she was in for uh, due for surgery, and they cancelled it at Christmas time. She hasn't heard anything uh, since that. Now we're into February, and we're, and we're halfway through it. And she hasn't even gotten a call uh, about uh, when that surgery is going to come up. Was she told uh, the reason why it was cancelled? Uh, at the time when she came in, like she had to come from Old Perlican. And uh, at the time when she came in, uh, she just got in uh, because it was excruciating pain coming over that highway to, to come in for the surgery. You know it was. And uh, she uh, just got in, and just as she got in, she got a call telling her that uh, it was cancelled. So then she had to find somewhere to stay uh, so that she could rest and then uh, continue back to her place again, which it's very difficult for people, right? Now, I, uh, I talked to a lady into uh, the Health Science Center. She's the lady that uh, books the surgeries. And she told me, she said, Marie, she said, your sister is not the only one. She said, I had a lady come here four times I had her booked for her surgery, and four times she had to be sent home. Now, I think this is atrocious, that we have this kind of system going on. I mean, to be booked four, t- to be called four times for a surgery, and then you're told, I'm sorry, you have to go home. Do they not realize the amount of pain they're putting these people through? I'm sure and, they do. I'm sure they do. I'm sure well, the situation seem- is that uh, they simply don't have any choice. Uh, if they don't have enough staff, for instance, uh, how can they conduct a surgery? Well, the, the, the thing is, it's not just uh, um, uh, after all the uh, investigation I'm after doing on it. It's not just it's not the staff like that. That lady was there to help me uh, when I called in. She was a staff member member. But when you don't have the 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 system set up to do your job, how can you do it? And what's the point of having a surgeon and having a doctor when uh, their hands are tied and, and they can't do anything? You know, uh, there's something seriously, ser- seriously wrong uh, with our, our system right now that you wouldn't believe the number of times I have picked up the phone and, and they, give you, they give you numbers to call, but there's no one on the other end to pick up the, to pick up the phone. I mean, the, 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 the system is completely shot. I mean, when a surgeon tells you I'm giving you a number for you to call about your surgery, uh, and then you call that surgeon's number, and then you, he got a secretary, and the secretary don't even pick up the phone when you call that number, and then uh, you leave a message, and she never gets back to you. I mean, uh, it's crazy. And, and that's what's going on. Like, you're trying to reach out for help for your sister, and there's nobody taking this seriously. They don't even pick up the phone. They're either away from their desk, and they're away from their desk for days. I mean, you, if someone tells me they're away from their desk, 
I'm thinking, well, well, they're gone for about an hour or so. They had something to do. But when you're constantly calling hour on the hour, uh, trying to get through, trying to find out what, what they're going to do for your sister. Hello? There's something wrong. Marie, I, I do appreciate your call. I hear your frustration for certain, and I know there's a lot of people in the same kind of boat as yourself and your sister. Uh, I'd like to hear from them this morning. I, I really do appreciate your call. We're up to news time. Thanks. Okay, thank you so much for hearing me, and I want people to get on board and, and look into, I want someone to investigate this whole system with uh, what's going on with our health care. This should not be you know, uh, what's going on with the telephones and all this stuff and numbers that are botched. I really think someone needs to investigate this. All right. Uh, okay, I really appreciate you. it, Marie. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Go. Okay, bye-bye. And uh, we're up to news time now with Brian Medor. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. And we're back. Linda Swain in for Patty Daly, who's off this week. And uh, Lindy called earlier about the Take Charge Insulation Rebate Program through Newfoundland and Labrador Hydro and uh, Newfoundland Power. And right on the application, it clearly uh, gives you an outline of the eligibility requirements and the insulation requirements. And for each area of the home, basement and crawl space, basement and crawl space ceilings, and the attic. Uh, so they've got the minimum and the maximum R value requirements there. So if you do plan to do that kind of work and take advantage of that rebate, um, just talk to your contractor and make sure that it meets the uh, the standards that are outlined in the application and um, you should be good to go. Uh, we're going to go now to uh, Trina. You're on the air. Yes. Uh, hi, Trina. Hi, how are you? Good. What's on your mind? Oh, nothing. I just want um, I just want to say the problem in Con River, drug problem, great big drug problem. Okay. Everybody's in Con. They don't even call it Con River anymore. They call it Crack River. Is that right? Do you live there? Con. Yes, I do. Okay, and so uh, it's become a problem, has it? Uh, yes, but the band council ain't doing anything about it. I don't know why or why not, but... Unless they keep it that way and more problems that develop in con, I guess, to get more money from the government. I said, I guess saying that, oh, the kids don't have this. They said, come around the drugs, the kids don't have that. So I guess they get more money from the government. And, oh, you can make a playground or you can do a skating rink or you can do this or do that. I don't know how it comes in. They're not doing anything about it. Maybe that's why. So the government will give them more money, I guess. So what kind but of a role do you think a that... Sorry, what kind of a role do you think that the band council can play there? Oh, my God, invite the cops in, invite the, the drug police in, and stop them. It's, it's not even 2,000 people in Con. You you come to Con for a week, you know who's selling drugs and who's not, and what kind of drugs. Everybody in Con knows, not even 2,000 people live there. Uh, so you just want to well, see everybody knows who sells it. Law enforcement take care of yeah, the problem, so to speak. About it. Yeah. Yeah. Then there wouldn't be so many problems in town. And what about uh, the problem. programming to help those who are taking drugs? Yeah, but why not just stop the drug dealers? Well, I suppose you could stop the drug dealers, but um, somebody else will fill that gap, if you know what I mean. 
yes. Oh, they got programs there for rehab and all this stuff. But that's 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 no good if you're not going to stop drug dealers too. Have you spoken to the band council about it, or some of your band council members? It, it's no good. People have been trying for years. This ain't this been going on for years and years and years. And obviously, you're fed up with it. Yes, I'm done with it. All right. Well, Trina, I'd like to hear what others in the community have to say. Oh, me too. I'd love to. All right. But pre- nobody else won't speak up. I don't know why or whatever, but they they got still got to give them their jobs. And I bet you, if they test the clinic staff, the band staff, the school staff, I say over fifty percent of them is on drugs. Uh, well, that's a that's a serious allegation. I I don't know if uh, that's there's any truth to that. I really appreciate your call, though. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. Bye bye. Uh, we're going to take no. We're not going to take a short break. What we're going to do is we're going to update the uh, situation involving. Um, there's a car stuck in the middle of Southlands Boulevard on the ramp heading east uh, so be careful watch out for that and ramps are in rough shape in some areas so be aware of that you might encounter some problems there's a car stuck in the middle of south lands boulevard on the ramp heading east and uh, we're hearing that there's an update and i'm trying to find it now on the schools in this in the area metro area schools in the st john's metro area will remain closed for the remainder of the day so kids you can help mom and dad Dig out. (laughs) I know that's not what they want to hear. No, you've got the day off school today, um, but you can help your mom and dad. You know that. (laughs) I may be speaking to someone in particular. Um, But, uh, yeah, metro area schools will, will remain closed for the remainder of the day. When we come back, we hope to hear from you. And we're back. We're going to go now to Wade. You're on the air. Hi, Wade. Hi, Linda. How are you this morning? Good. Hi, Linda. Just calling regarding the home hay rebate. Yeah. Uh, the oil rebate that they were supposed to send out, Linda. Um, initially, I had uh, applied for it in October. They sent me back another letter, and they stated that uh, they needed more information regarding the consumption of oil that I had used, if it was indeed used in my home, which I only have a bungalow, and that's where it was being used in my home. Um contacted the Department of Finance. The Department of Finance had advised me when I sent back the new application. I still, weeks went by, and I still, I called them, and I asked, where's my home he rebate? And they said, well, uh, we didn't have the proper information on file, so, well, that new application has been sent in. So we're dealing from October, now here it is today, the 15th of February, and I still haven't received the home he rebate. And, you know, Linda, everybody is dependent on that, like to put a bit of oil in their tank, you know, and try to keep yourself warm. I sympathize with the gentleman that called in earlier, was stating about getting a bit of snow clearing, because, like, here in Newfoundland, uh, regards to WHSCC, uh, everywhere else in Canada, Linda, uh, they award you a uh, lump sum money, a lump sum money for the year for snow clearing. And Newfoundland is the only province in all Atlantic Canada that does not uh, give you that award to help you clear some snow. Because, like the gentleman was saying, trying to get anybody to shovel any snow, to get get anybody to do anything, it's a job this day and age. 
But uh, again, I'm at home. He he rebate, Linda. Um, that's just totally ridiculous. Here it is, 15th of February, and I still haven't got that. We heard from Rosalind yesterday in Kingsco. She said the same thing. She applied for it when it first came out, and and she's still waiting. Yeah, yeah. But now, like you say, he sent out those five hundred dollars. People, uh, a lot of people, everybody got those. But uh, this home he rebate, which is a very important, you know, rebate for a homeowner like myself uh, to put the, with the price of oil to put it in now and uh, the way it's going there now Linda the oil companies not the oil companies the insurance companies they're asking you to take pictures of your oil tank uh, front view side view back view take a picture of your, your uh, oil furnace now like myself in 2024 I have to install a new tank that was dollars $2, $2, to install that tank um, I don't see the government like in, in that aspect too. I don't see the government stepping up and saying, "Well, okay, if you're if you're burning fossil fuels, you're burning you're burning it." Like to change it over. The oil man that was on the oil truck, I just voiced my concerns to him, and he said his buddy had put in two mini splits. He put in the two mini splits. He went back to his insurance company and he said, "Okay, I got my two mini splits put in." They said, "Sorry, sir, we can't cover you because that's only your primary source of heat." You know how weird it is, like I said to the gentleman on the truck, I said, you know, the government is trying to drive the independent oil company or oil deliverer guys, like North Atlantic, whatever have you, um, out of business. So, I don't know, this home he rebate is just disappointing to the point, uh, I would figure, like, uh, when I get my $500, surely it's not going to be wasted, it's going to go in oil, because, uh, you know... When you're getting $400 worth of oil, like I call for $400 worth of oil, and Linda, when you look at your oil tank and look how much and how much time, you can look on your bill of uh, log in, log out, how much time it takes them to pump in $400 worth of oil, you're looking at uh, 30, about 35, 36, a half a minute. Not much more than half a minute to pump in $400 worth of oil, right? Wow. You yeah. know, like if anybody uh, takes notice of that, uh, I take notice of it. And just just to show, like uh, you're talking uh, those four, those big oil drums to fill one of those. Or someone said about eleven hundred dollars. Well, they better go look again because to fill that tank today it's about sixteen hundred dollars to fill that tank. And the way it is here uh, in my home, you know, you've got to uh, watch every bit of energy that you're using. Uh, Newfoundland Power sends uh, sends you out the home he rebate. They're the home, uh, oh, your overall use of electricity. And on this overall use of electricity, I'll show you laundry, water, utilities, electronics, you know. Um, that's so out of whack, just so out of whack. Like even my power bill for uh, January twenty first, December twenty first to December January twenty first was three hundred and ninety five dollars. Plus, you got your oil on top of that. And where I'm living, we got our town council taxes, our property taxes. Everything is just, uh, and like again, when you're on a fixed income, tell you what, every dollar counts, Linda. So if there's anybody out there listening on the household part of the Department of Finance, someone could call in and give a bit of a reason why, some type of reason why it's taken so long for the federal or the federal and provincial government, a joint venture, 
to say, look, this is why it's taking so long. They they sent everybody out your five hundred dollars. Didn't matter if you were working, and this, uh, you know, if you were under a hundred thousand dollars. Well, personally, I think if you're making a hundred thousand dollars, you don't need that five hundred dollars. Give that to some person that's in the bracket of well, whatever. If it's twenty thousand, thirty thousand dollars a year. Uh, if you got two people in the house only making $100,000 a year, you should be able to get by on that, right, you know? Anyways, I'm Wait, a- I, I appreciate your call, and I, I echo your uh, your call there for someone from the Department of Finance to give us an answer as to why s- some people are waiting so long for, yep. their, um, for their oil rebate. Yes. Yes, please. Really appreciate your call this morning. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Linda. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, we are going to go now to Willis. You're on the air. Hi, Willis. Hello, Linda. Good morning. Anyway, uh, yes, there's a lot of issues throughout the province of Newfoundland. And I come, I moved back home a couple of years ago from Ontario, and, and no doubt every province got the same issues, basically. But I just want to speak a little bit this morning about the homelessness here in St. John's. I am moved in St. John's, and and we as a team go downtown. We give out sandwiches and and hot meals and embrace people. Uh, You know, there's a stigma with homelessness. And, and yes, people are caught up in addictions. But I think uh, we really, as a man of faith, I really think we need to pray for leaders, whether it be municipal or provincial or national, and uh, and I really believe every every province across Canada got, got serious issues. I've lived in many provinces, and it's same old same old. Newfoundland being a smaller province, no doubt uh, there's higher brackets. Uh, what I talk about, like when I hear tell of two thousand homeless people in St. John's, that's a lot for a small city uh, compared to some cities. I, I've worked. You say no. we as a team. Who who are you as a team? Uh, actually, there's people. Uh, we we have a church group that goes down there, and there's people from uh, different schools here that that got a program uh, to help out. Uh, they they give. Uh, if you look up St. John's homeless, uh, there is uh, there is groups that uh, collect food and take donations and bring down peel-off cans that they can eat, uh, bars and chips. There's a whole list of things that we can give to the homeless people that uh, they can actually, they don't have to go inside and eat. So and you came here to do this work or or you... No, I uh, I moved back home a couple of years ago uh, in a small town. I'm from Trinity Bay originally, but uh, my heart is here in the city because my heart, as a man of faith, my heart goes out to the homeless. I was used to be volunteer coordinator at the men's shelter in, in Chatham, Ontario, and we reached out to many, many street people to help them not only for their uh, for their their natural needs, which was food, but for their spiritual needs as well, and directed them to different situations where they could go to support groups. St. John's alone is very, very blessed to have so many support groups. Like there's not only AA and and NA and everything else, but there's support groups, mental health groups with involved in churches. I'm going to put it on my Facebook again today because people are asking. There's meetings throughout the week that not only not only people that's not homeless go to, but I mean, I do put the word out to the homeless people, you know, and give them some direction. You know, thank God for the gathering place and and uh, and different places here in St. John's uh, uh, that have emergency shelters and many shelters, but the problem is here, all of them are full. 
all of them are full. And, and like we are in a very, when I hear tell that they're going to tear down a bus shelter because homeless is sleeping, that's, a, that's an issue. Though they didn't do it. But I mean, this is the crisis we're in here in St. John's. Well, Willis, I appreciate your call this morning. Uh, thanks very much. And if anything comes up again, you want to, um, you know, raise some of these issues, uh, by all means do so. Yes, and I think uh, we we corporately got to work with our with our leaders, which is our municipal governments and our provincial governments. And I think there's a lot of advocates out in in the communities, but they're not being heard. People are often like that lady from Con River. You know, my heart goes out to her because no doubt it's it's a crisis with drugs there. And I think people need to be heard by the leaders, whether it's municipal or provincial. And, you know, like, you know, homelessness, I have nothing against, nothing against, you know, Newfoundland for opening their hearts for the Ukraine. They needed it. They come from a war-torn country. But there's people on their doorsteps and there's people dying in our streets because... They don't have any alternative but to sit on the street and beg for food. And that that's a serious crisis. And I think we should work together as a team, corporately, with the leaders and our government and, and our communities and come together and solve all the problems and try to be a solution and not a problem. All right, Willis, thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're going to go now to Juanita. You're on the air. Hello. Hi, Juanita. Hi, uh, I'm a senior living here in St. John's. Um, I've been staying at my daughter's for a couple of days because of the storm. I couldn't leave. Um, I'm now stuck at my daughter's. Uh, I was just wondering if there's anybody out there could uh, give me a hand with plowing the driveway so that I can get out. Uh, and get to my own because I don't even have enough medication for the rest of the day. Uh, so I just wonder if there's anybody out there can help me, give me a hand. Uh, it would be greatly appreciated. For sure. What to area town do you have? I don't want the exact address, but what area town yeah. are you in? I'm uh, on um, Empire Avenue. Okay, and Empire Avenue, of course, being uh, really long. East End, yes. West End? Uh, West End. Okay, so you're in that general area, and you're wondering if there's anybody around who can help uh, um, dig you out so you can get home. Yes, because yes, I got a go. I was supposed to have a go bus coming for me today at 12, but I can't even get out of the house to get on that go bus. Oh, dear. That's a pretty bad yeah. situation. Yeah. So, yeah. Juanita, uh, Dave has your number there. If anybody has uh, any assistance to offer you, um, we'll, uh, we'll put you guys in touch. Uh, where do I... Do I let Dave know my address as well? Well, uh, we'll figure that out once we... If somebody calls in. Okay. Awesome. All right. Uh, and best of luck with that. Hopefully, we'll, we'll get you some help. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Anybody there able to help Juanita out, Empire Avenue area, get out of her her daughter's place so she can get home and get her medication and get on the go bus? Um, Give us a call if there's anybody out there can help out. We're going to take a short break. We had a really busy start to the show, but some of our lines have loosened up, so now is your chance to give us a call. Here come the numbers. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show, midnight on your VOCM.
And we're back. And uh, just another reminder to our listeners, metro area schools are closed for the rest of the day. So there you have it. Uh, we're going to go now to uh, Cease. You're on the air. Hello. Hi, Cease. How are you doing? Good. Linda, the, the, the cost of living in Canada is completely out of control and especially Newfoundland. And I blame it all on Trudeau and Fury because they're all on the same page in the NDP. One time the NDP would come out and speak for the poor people, but now they're in the camp with Trudeau. So uh, I don't know uh, uh, the carbon tax, the, the, the uh, cost of the gasoline, ca- cost of oil, everything's gone sky high, and mortgage rates are gone up. So Trudeau got to go, and he's proud. Well, That's I, all I, I know. He doesn't have anything to do with mortgage rates, of course. And he, um, well, he's got all to do with the cost of living. The mortgage rates are up because uh, they're trying to uh, to uh, get rid of the debt that we're into. And we're bankrupt, Thomas, anyway. All right. So, so what uh, uh, what kind of solutions uh, could be? Well, we got to get a new government in place. To do because what specifically? Pardon? To do what specifically? How can we address the cost well, to of do, living? Uh, to run the uh, run the country better, to cut the taxes. I mean, there's a carbon tax. Carbon tax. Every day there's a carbon tax. And, and I was talking to a guy the other day. He, home heating fuel went from 1000 to 2000 in one month. I mean, you just and the groceries, everything has gone sky high. So I don't know. Uh, so what are you talking about then? Um, like uh, uh, some kind of um, relief for uh, average everyday know, citizens? Relief, uh, get someone in, in, in uh, to run the country that's going to do a better job. Because, I mean, and I was talking to a guy the other day. His mortgage rate went from 1000 to 2000 So uh, everything's out of control. Right. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yes, we're getting and, and, hit in every direction, no doubt. Uh, some right. of some of which, uh, you know, uh, there's some control over, and others uh, is just the state we're all in right now. That's right, and and, and it's all because of the carbon tax, and now they got another carbon tax coming on in a couple months' time. So I mean, this is crazy. What's going on? It's not entirely all because of the carbon tax, but I think I hear what you're saying. Yeah, and you go into the Avalon Mall, and, and there's people there every day, the same type of people, trying to get in at the coal because they can't afford to heat their homes. Yeah, and that's been the case for a long time. It's, uh, that's right. it's sad. Is there enough um, supports for people on fixed incomes, uh, no, low income? No. And this $500, that was a disgrace. I mean, can you imagine someone making $200,000 a year in a household to get a $500 check? That's a joke. I mean, they don't need it. Anyone that make now less than 40 or 30 probably might need it. But, I mean, anyone making 100000 $500 checks, just it's not necessary. They did a very poor job in planning that. And how are you getting by, Cease? You doing all right? Well, I'm doing great, yes. Everything's fine with me. I don't have any issues that way, but just friends of mine, and, and I don't like the way the government is running the, the country, both locally and for, and and, uh, and uh, nationally. All right, Cease, I do appreciate your call this morning. Thank you. 
So I'll let people keep that in mind in the next election. Already. And the health care, of course, we all know about that. Okay, thank you very much for taking my call. All right, thanks, Cease. Have a good day, Linda. All Bye-bye. right, bye-bye. Um, and uh, any thoughts on what he's had to say? Give us a call. We have lines wide open right now, so now is your opportunity. What I'm going to do now, Dave, is I'm going to take a break just a little bit early so we can line up a few calls, keep you busy over there. <laughs> like he said, I'm not busy. Uh, he's always busy. You should see him going. It's like uh, he puts me in mind of um, Kermit the Frog, you know, with the arms going. <laughs> We'll be back right after that. This here are the numbers to call. And we're back. Linda Swain in for Patty Daly. And uh, after a rollicking, raucous three days, the lines are currently open. So now is your chance to give us a call. 273-5211-1888-590-8626. Well, uh, we heard from Lindy, who uh, was having some trouble getting the um, rebate from uh, Newfoundland Power for upgrading his um his um uh insulation and uh this listener says uh the man who called this morning regarding disapproval from newfoundland power under the insulation program because his r value wasn't as required he said he used the 12 value but he's wondering if he stated the polybead as well because that also has a value now you're talking things that are way above my understanding uh if he used the two inch that would be a value of seven point something so that would put him up to where he needs to receive the rebate says our listener when i did out the application she says after i did my basement that's the part i didn't add in as well and when i did i got the rebate so she's talking about the polybead value as well I don't know anything about that. If anybody happens to know and understand that, they're welcome to give us a call. Uh, we are going to go now to um, Brian Madour, who is right here. <laughs> Hi, Hello, Linda. I think I saw you in the newsroom a little while ago. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> We're like two ships that pass in the night these days. Certainly. Or in the early morning hours anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian, of course, um, this is the 41st anniversary of the Ocean Ranger disaster, and you were a reporter on the beat when that occurred. What was it like? That was really something else. That was the biggest story I'd covered up to that time, of course, and still the biggest story of my career. Uh, and heartbreaking consequences. The mood in the whole province around that time was so very somber. Uh, that's really started that Saturday night. It uh, sank, uh, we call it Sunday night, early Monday morning. But Saturday night, it started snowing. And I mean, it didn't stop for a long time. Uh, our shift, uh, I was in the East End then, and Q Radio was down on Duckworth Street. It's the Hawaiian building right now. So I said, well, uh, I left early. I said, I'm going to try to make it in because that was a weekend shift. And Sunday, Valentine's Day, and you only had uh, one person working from 6 a.m. until 3 p.m., and then another person would come in 3 p.m. Uh, to midnight. So uh, I had to try to get into work, and I had to abandon my car at the Miller Center, got stuck, just couldn't go any further, so I walked the rest of the way and did the shift that day. Uh, 
at some point that afternoon, we I don't know if it was a call or a telex, but we had some information from a rig out there, Sedco 706, that winds were just absolutely ferocious. And Jerry Phelan, my colleague at the time, noticed that uh, the next day. Uh, and then uh, that night, of course, the uh, Ocean Ranger sank. Uh, last communication from the rig was about 1.30 or so. So that Monday, uh, the 15th, it was all hands on deck and uh, mobile oil operated the rig at the time and uh, or the contracted out the operation i should say and they uh, called all the media together at the holiday inn so here i am age 22 and surrounded by see these reporters that you know from uh, abc nbc cbs uh, cbc national ctv national it was uh, it was quite the experience for a 22-year-old, I can tell you, when you knew you were covering the biggest story that was going to be on your lap for a long, long time. And seeing those senior reporters from all over the world lends to that sense um, that something very significant has happened. How did the, the, the news trickle in? I mean, I know what it's like, and I know what it's like uh, even now when we're, you know, information is instantaneous uh, how sometimes information will slowly trickle in and you get a sense that something serious is happening did it take a while for the for that information to to get to the newsrooms to know that something very significant had happened it did, well the Coast Guard confirmed pretty soon I think at daybreak that the uh, the rig had sunk so we knew that uh, and then the information kind of trickled down who was on the rig the number exact number of lives uh, how things Things transpired, for example, uh, we had no idea till quite some time later that uh, life raft, they did launch a life raft with a certain number of men on board, and they got to within eyesight of the uh, offshore service vessel, and the, rig, the life raft flipped over before they could get to it. I think it was the Seaforth Highlander. And uh, the people on the Seaforth Highlander could see the life raft, and then it flipped over. Just so very heartbreaking. Uh, during that time, we were at the Holiday Inn till it was quite late that night. I don't know what time we left, but it was awfully late by the time we got the officials from Mobile Oil. And at the time, we of course, nobody knew exactly what had happened out there. And uh, my colleague, Jerry Phelan, uh, came across a pretty important document in the coming days after that, uh, mobile attributing to the accident to uh, weather that they did not bank on being so ferocious, so fierce. Uh, anyway, uh, it's mentioned here, we are two 22-year-olds, and you're hearing your colleague's name mentioned on the floor of the House of Commons because they're saying, where did Jerry Phelan get this report? And uh, asking the federal transport minister, you know, what's going on? What's the uh, safety situation out here? What are you doing? Why was there, you know, should there be search and rescue operations in St. John's? That debate uh, was raging long before the Cougar crash. That debate was going on way back then when we were 
you know, out there drilling for oil at that point in the uh, in the early 80s. 84 lives lost in that instant. Um, the heaviness, I, I can remember, you know, being back in Newfoundland that summer because I was um, growing up in Montreal at the time. But that summer coming home to Newfoundland and still feeling that sense of heaviness in the air. And that's the summer. This is months separated from the disaster. What was it like? here after that oh it was it was something else on uh, the talk shows were uh you know just so busy and taken over with uh people commenting uh, on the whole situation asking questions legitimate questions that wouldn't be answered for quite some time i don't know if it really hit home to me until i think it might have been that wednesday or thursday uh mobile called a news conference jerry phelan went and uh, here we had the names being released and the ages and the hometowns. And he called. This was only like about five minutes to five before a major newscast. And he said, this is going to take quite some time. What do I do? A newscast was only five minutes long. I said, read every one of them. I didn't even hesitate for a second. And here he was, the news director, and I made the decision, and it turned out to be the absolute correct decision. This is long before any social media, so our phone lines were just jammed after that. Did you say this was so-and-so from such-and-such? Because, you know, you didn't have that social media perspective of, well, just look on Facebook. Let's look here to see if this really is this person or that person. And then once we released the names and the ages, and Jerry had a hard time with that because he went to brother rice and gonzaga is just you know not very far away and uh, knew some of the people and when you heard the ages i think that's where it really struck me uh, listening to him going live at that time and giving the ages and that's where you realize holy cow uh, so many of them in their 20s you know 20s and 30s it was just astounding that that was the riveting portion when i uh, that five o'clock newscast it really hit me and hit me hard then and so many families uh you know carrying on then without their brothers their fathers their uncles their sons and it was about a week later uh Uh, we did a story and it was from a woman who had received a valentine's card from her husband who was a worker on the rig the valentine's card arrived after the sinking heartbreaking oh my gosh it was it's the saddest story i think i've ever covered in my career it was just uh, even at the time you could just feel well yourself welling up trying to read that on air Brian Medore, really appreciate this. Uh, thank you. All right, you are. All right. And um, Clayton is on the air now. Hello, Clayton. Hello, Clayton. Is Clayton there? Hello, Clayton. I'm speaking. Yep, go ahead. Hi, good morning. Good morning. How are you today? Good. Uh, well, I'm a little bit sentimental here, but uh, I worked offshore. I was out there when the ranger went down. Oh, my. Uh, 166 kilometers from the ranger, but she was gone before we could get there. But I just want to tell my story. Now, I'm a little bit sentimental here today, okay? Yeah, no problem. Yeah, I understand that. I was on a ship, a National Geographical ship, and uh, with 38 of us on the ship, and you've never seen a dry eye. We didn't know if we were going to make it. I'm telling you. I've got pictures on the wall here 
the waves coming at us. And the ship was 38 feet long, and she was underneath the water in the submarine on that boat again. It was a very, very scary, scary night. Now, one more thing I want to say. If he's listening, Captain Jim Martin, so all our life, 38 of us, if he's listening, I'm going to leave my number with Mr. Williams because I haven't spoke to him in 41 years. I'd like for him to call me. But, Linda, there's people out there that are not past yet was on that ship with us. Do we often hear this uh, thing say, Nightmare on the Elm Street? No. This wasn't Nightmare on the Elm Street. Have you ever seen uh, wind or sea conditions like that before? What? You see the pictures I got on the wall there? My darling, you throw your guts up. Excuse my language here, but no, 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 no. Anyhow, but it just... You say there were times that the ship felt like a submarine. You got that right. A lot of things. The next day, there's so much missing out. The helicopter's gone off the back of the thing. It wasn't a very, very good night, I'll tell you that right now. So how did you make it through? Well, Mr. Martin, only for him, and one of the mates, the Stedman Rideout, they knew their job. And the next day, I got pictures on the wall here. The next day, every man was on deck with a wooden mullet, beating ice off the ship before she wouldn't tip over. And I'm not joking. Pictures don't lie. Were any of you aware that the, the storm was coming or that it was going to be uh, that just, bad? Just a slap in the face. Sorry? It just happened so, happened so quick. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it took 24 hours to turn the ship around. And uh, then we went in the next day after, the second day after, we went in uh, what you call pack ice, everything is settled down, to just uh, clean everything up, get all the ice off the ship before we went in Halifax for a refit because she was half beat up in the end. So what were you guys doing out there on the National Geographic uh, ship? Surveying for oil, where they got the rigs put to now. Right. And so did you ever go back out to sea after that? Oh, my God, yeah. Next time I went out after refit, I was down in Jamaica. Big difference from the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> it is indeed, unless now they're <laughs> getting another storm, but you know what I mean. Yeah. No, no. It's, oh, yeah, but <clears throat> I wish I could send these pictures to you, but I can. I suppose you want me to. But anyhow, the listeners out there, it wasn't a very nice day or nice two, three days. And they go, thank you very much for making my call. And I hope Mr. Captain Jim Martin is listening. All right. We've got your number, Clayton. We'll put you guys yeah. in contact if he gives us a call or someone belongs to him calls us. Listen, I listen to your show every day. And I wish it was on seven days a week. Really appreciate your call, Clayton. Uh, all the God best bless. to you. God Alrighty. bless. Have a nice day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And, of course, uh, a listener reminded us uh, that today is the day that um, that that Spanish trawler sank off Newfoundland in um, similar kind of circumstances. Just an awful, awful tragedy uh, off the uh, southeast coast of Newfoundland. Um, and thank you for that. Thank you for reminding us. Um, we are going to go now to Wilf. You're on the air. Hello. Hi, Wilf. Uh, no, it's Wilson. Oh, Wilson. I'm so sorry. Wilson, hello. Uh, yeah. Uh, now, uh, uh, well, I'm a lot older than you are, but I've been listening to you and admiring you. I haven't met you yet, 
but hopefully well uh, and keep up the good work. I appreciate that, Wilson. Because there's, uh, there's only because I retired and from customer service. And uh, to, uh, to me, customer service is uh, uh, 78% of your business. Oh, 100%. And, uh, well, not really, because <laughs> the quality, the, uh, the service you're providing, uh, that get to uh, claim. But anyway, uh, uh, I was diagnosed with uh, a bad, uh, but uh, anyway, I'm still alive. And once I start to babble, I can't shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, the reason why I called this morning is because of what uh, some of your uh, clients uh, said about the $500 check that's been uh, uh, cashed by most Newfoundlanders. The Yeah, the cost of living check, yeah. Yeah, but I haven't got that yet. Oh, is that right? And the two numbers that they gave you to to call, I can give them to you. If if uh, you would like. Oh, we've uh, got them here. We've got them. Um, uh, uh, so, did you file an income tax um, for in, last year? In, yes, I did. Okay. And I've got copies of it on file. So, uh, all you got to do is call me. And I've been calling them, like I said, since I found out about it in uh, January. And all I get is, uh, I'm sorry, we're too busy to answer your call, but leave a message and we'll get back to you as soon as possible. And no one's gotten back to you, I take it? Nobody. And you still haven't got your 500 bucks? No. And believe you me, I do not make near 100000 a year. So, yeah, $500 would go a long way for me. Oh, for sure. It goes a long way for an awful lot of people, especially these days. Wilson, um, we've got your number there. If uh, anybody has any information or if uh, somebody, you know, they might say, oh, I remember Wilson leaving a message for me. I better give him a call back. Hopefully (laughs) you get some uh, satisfaction soon. Yeah. And, uh, 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 oh, I forget the old saying, but there's no that are scarce as hen's teeth. Yeah. (laughs) All right, Wilson, I really appreciate your call. Thank you. Well, uh, like I said before, keep up the good work. All right. Because there's uh, several people uh, like us around, but they're few and far between. Right. Appreciate your time. God bless you and your family. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And, uh, you know, earlier I said that we were going to go to news with Brian Madour. Jolene is here. I'm sorry. Jolene, we're going to go to uh, Jolene Grimes with the latest news coming up right after this. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. And we're back, and we heard in the last hour from uh, Clayton, who was on board that National Geographic vessel uh, on that uh, fateful night tw- 41 years ago. And Brian Medora gave us his recollections as a young reporter uh, in the days following the Ocean Ranger disaster. Now we're going to hear from uh, Danny Collins, who was supposed to have been on board the rig. Hello, Danny. Hello there. How so, are you? Good. Uh, so this must be... Uh, I can't explain it. Um, what is this date like for you? Um, well, it's been hard uh, over the years, but of course you get kind of used to it and settle into your life, you know. Um, it's a big loss for us all. 
for sure. And um, uh, no doubt, uh, with a, a range of emotions for you, you were supposed to have been on the rig that night? I was, actually. And um, sadly, a school chum of mine who I played basketball with and uh, hung out with, uh, he actually took my place. And I've often wanted to go to see his mother, but never really had the courage. Uh, I can understand that for sure, uh, and to have to carry that around with you for so long. Yep, but you know, life goes on, and we try to learn from it. Uh, it was uh, basically right from the start uh, for safety. I, I went from a single rig in northern Alberta, the uh, smallest rig in the world, literally to the biggest rig in the world. And uh, when I was uh, in Fort McMurray, I was simply a roughneck. And when I got there, the minute I got off the chopper, I hear my name called out. And, uh, you know, here I am. And they said, go up to the drill floor. You're coming out of the hole. And I said, well, what about my two days of orientation? Forget about it. Get up to the drill floor. And I said, well, where's the drill floor? He said, if you can't find that, get back on the chopper, chopper and get out of here. So I went up and found it, and sure enough, we're coming out of the hole, and there's three other guys there, George and Ralph and uh, Wayne, and I quickly realized that these guys were not experienced. So I threw up my hands after taking one pipe out and noticing that they were in dangerous positions or they weren't holding on to the tongs properly. And I just put my hands up and said, no, we got to stop. And, of course, the Americans at the time did not like that kind of thing. And uh, anyway, I got them to stop, and I asked each guy, how much experience do you have? And all three of them had just, this was their first day, and they expected me to be the lead floor hand on the biggest rig in the world. And I was okay with that because I'd catch on kind of quick. But uh, I asked them after the shift, what happened to the other crew? Well, the other crew had taken the tool push out of his bunk in the middle of the night and beat him up. And uh, they were all fired, of course. And um, anyway, we went on from there. And uh, safety-wise... I was there for three months, I guess, and I got my crew up to snuff and everything was going well that way. But I noticed that every Sunday when there was a lifeboat drill, it would be canceled because of rain or whatever. I mean, rain is what we do. We're, we're 150 miles offshore. So after four months of that, I finally went and forced them to show me how to, how to operate these lifeboats. And my, the first reaction I got from them was, don't worry about it. You won't be driving one. And then I said, well, I'm going to have to make a report unless you show me. And they finally showed me how to operate it. And I don't know, I, I guess I felt like if I had been there, I could have saved a few. But we all know the reality of that. <laughs> it's amazing yeah. you, with you telling this uh, story how... Uh... I mean, I know it was a fledgling industry for for the offshore here in Newfoundland at, at the time, but uh, my goodness, you'd never hear tell of you know some of the scenarios you're outlining there now. No, that's right. And being out there, I've been out there in fifty foot waves, and you don't feel a thing. But suddenly, one night in the middle of the night, the rig tilted a bit, scared the hell out of me. 
I jumped out of my my bunk and ran out to the control room. And by the time I got there, they had righted the rig. And I said, what was that? Oh, don't worry about it. It's fixed. Well, what was it? Well, we don't really know. In my opinion, that rig should have been shut down right there and then, evacuate everybody, and nobody comes back till they figure it out. But they never did. It was like it was like hidden, swept under the rug. How soon uh, before the disaster was that? That would have been three months before. Wow! So the signs were there. The signs were there. Well, I, I was told that there was a cook that worked on that rig, and he begged them to get off because he, he according to him, this rig is doomed. I need to go home. Well, the next morning they found his bags packed on the edge of the rig, and apparently he went to swim home. Of course, he never made it. But you never heard about that either, I'm sure. So what would have caused that tilt at that time? Any idea? Um, Well, according to the reports, right from the factory, the the, uh, manual that tells you how to open and close the... uh, the doors uh, on the pontoons, like a wave would hit, say, from the left, and then uh, water would be pumped out one side or the other to keep it to keep it uh, steady and, and straight. And uh, I guess one of the doors must have opened, and I guess they closed it right away, but uh, not really sure, you know. Amazing. And, uh, you know, there was a similar disaster in the North Sea around the same time. I can't remember exactly the time frame in that. And and the similar kinds of things, uh, you know, concerns were raised and it apparently ignored. Yep. Production, production, production. That's the key. That was the key. And safety was uh, non-existent as far as I was concerned. You know, uh, I... I noticed that my crew was always a little bit slower than the other crews, but the whole year that I was there, we didn't have a single injury on my crew and the other crews. When they'd get yelled at, they'd get mad, and I'd tell my guys, don't get mad, listen to the message, do what they say. And uh, after a while, whenever I'd leave, the bosses would come up, shake my hand, and say, make sure you come back now. So it kind of worked out that way, and... uh, I was uh, taking chemistry and math and computer science to become a subsea engineer at Dalhousie University. When I was in chemistry class, one day somebody came in and said, Ocean Ranger is gone. Yes. So I left my, book, left my book right there, and that was the end of it. These were your friends. These were your coworkers. Yes. Was safety culture a thing at that time? Um. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it was ignored. Like the H2S, the poison gas alarm went off one night, and everybody, some people put their masks on. Nobody knew which side of the rig you had to go to because you had to be upwind of it. And I had to literally grab a guy and lift him up off his feet and make him show me how to put that mask on because I'd never been shown how to put it on. But I got well-versed in how to put a mask on because after I left there, I came to British Columbia and I was with the Vancouver Fire Department as a firefighter for 33 years. So 
I like to feel like I gave some things back. Do you think we've learned um, enough since then? I would say I would say they spend a lot of money on safety now. They, they came up with a, a way to shoot the uh, 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 lifeboats out of the out of rigs, and whether or not they work, I don't know. But you know, when you're out there, there's nowhere to run. You're just there. And in those kind of conditions, I mean, my goodness, it's, you know, um, you know, hell on one side and hell on the other. Yep. Yep. Anyway, but at the time, I was kind of given the golden handshake and told that if, you, if I keep it up, I could be making a lot of money. And I actually uh, got flown off because I had a toothache. And... Um, after I got that out, I had I had met a girl, and I was didn't like being away from her, and I decided I would stay away from it for a bit. And uh, my dad, of course, when I got the job, was proud that I got it. And then when I quit, I was like, what did you do that for? And then, of course, when that happened, he was so happy that I did. Well, Danny, thinking about you, of course, and thinking about the other um, uh, families and and friends affected by that terrible disaster 41 years ago, uh, you know, four decades is not long going, and uh, those memories are still very, very vivid. Uh, I really appreciate your time. Okay, thank you very much. You have a good day. All right, you too. Bye-bye. Danny Collins uh, worked on the Ocean Ranger and was supposed to have been working that fateful night. When we come back, we're going to get a little update on the scheduled health care meeting that was uh, supposed to take place tonight, I think, in Bonavista. Anyway, we'll get an update on that coming up right after this. And we're back. Uh, Linda Swain in for Patty Daly, who's off this week. And um, just another reminder, metro area schools close for the rest of the day today. The Association for New Canadians are reopening their offices at 1 o'clock. Uh, however, classes with the uh, English as a Second Language Training Centre will resume tomorrow. And Reg now is on the air with another, I guess, storm-related update. Hi, Reg. Hi, hi Linda. Uh, th- uh, thanks for having me on. Thanks for uh, calling. Yeah, okay. So we had a, a public meeting planned for tonight at uh, Discovery Collegiate High School in Bonavista. And uh, because of the weather conditions and stuff, we had to cancel. So uh, this is a regional meeting to discuss uh, lots of issues, I guess, that pertains to healthcare. Not only doctors, I mean, there's a lot of other uh, scenarios. And right now, uh, so what we're doing is we're moving this meeting uh, to the same location, that's Discovery Collegiate High School. And it's gonna be now on Wednesday, the, the 22nd, so next Wednesday. We'd like to let everybody know that this meeting is going to hit that, right? So and it's a public I, meeting, and you're going to discuss health care. Exactly. And I guess everybody, there's a lot to discuss. There is a lot to discuss. Right now, We, uh, I know today and tomorrow, we do have coverage at the hospital. Uh, with, uh, we have a virtual nurse practitioner and a and virtual doctor. And then there's, I think, it changes con- constantly. Uh, after tomorrow, there's a five-day break where the hospital is closed. And I mean, we got a very difficult situation in our communities and in the region. That's the ER and is closed. ER is yeah. closed, yeah. Yeah, there's no ER service. So, 
Well, your mayor has spoken out quite uh, publicly about all this, uh, and we've heard from many members of the community as well. So what are the solutions? Well, the solutions are... uh, Well, right all summer, we knew we had three physicians who uh, were willing to come to Bonavista to work. And uh, we, like, they have been... basically prevented from doing it because of, of pay. That's basically the big sticking point here. Uh, they want to they get a uh, pay that's equal to an uh, ER doctor who would be working in Clarendon, right, to come to Bonavista. And I think this is a problem all across the province. If we don't find, like, pay uh, equity for doctors in rural Newfoundland, we're never going to recruit. It's impossible. Because, uh, I mean, a doctor, ER doctor in Bonavista gets 60% of what they were getting Clarendon. Yeah, so now, what, where's the motivation? <laughs> where's the motivation yeah. to do that? And not only that, I mean, if you're an ER doctor in Clarendon, you, uh, you work a shift. Like, that might be eight-hour shift or whatever, right? And so then after your shift, you got time off. In Bonavista, that ER doctor is expected to cover, do a 24-hour coverage. So you work a shift, like the day in, in the clinic, which is filled up, where there's a shortage of doctors. We have no family doctors. And so then all of a sudden, you are expected to work uh, on night, too, and do coverage, right? Yeah, so that's unsustainable so for anyone. It's, it is unsustainable, but for some reason or another, we have a, we have a minister and we have a government who thinks... Uh, that we're going to get those people somewhere. We're going to find them, and we're going to entice them to come to rural Newfoundland and work for less money and longer hours. I mean, everybody else in the in the medical system there, uh, nurse practitioners, nurses, whatever. Okay, so if you if if those nurses, a nurse practitioner, for instance, if he leaves or she leaves Bonavista and goes to Clarenville to work in Clarenville, their pay is the same. It don't make any difference. But there's only doctor, really. There's only doctors that got a difference in pay. Nobody knows why. I mean, the government is blaming it on the NLMA. I mean, and all this blame and, oh, we're, we're working on it. Uh, Linda, this don't work because, like like I said, this has been going on now for basically two years. There's been no doctor at the ER, not actual assigned physician. And so just stalling and stalling and stalling, it don't work. I mean, that don't work for people. When you go to the ER and there's no doctor there, and like you know, we had down there yesterday, and, and you people had in, in, all on the East Coast, a major snowstorm, and you got to be put in an ambulance, or you got to be told that you got to drive to Clarendon. I mean, that's not a very good situation. But for some reason, I mean, nobody knows what the issue is and what the problem is. But, I mean, the point is people are moving from the area. You can't blame them. If you're, if you're a senior in, in this area and you have health worry, a condition or you're, you're worried about a health condition, I mean, who's going to stay in this area without, without a doctor? I mean, it's only common sense. It's, 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 and well, Bonavista has done such an admirable job, too, at attracting young families to the area and becoming a real hub. Well, I mean, like a lot of people in the region have a feeling that there's a plan. But, I mean, if there is a plan, 
why isn't the Eastern Out or which will be become the new Out, uh, I guess, Out Care Board or whatever, or the minister or somebody coming out into this area and explaining to people, okay, this is the plan. I mean, they said uh, they announced last week after there was a there was a few people on open line and a few interviews being done. Seems like there's a little flurry then, and all of a sudden, here we go. Somebody's in the media, and then so the minister makes an announcement or somebody. Oh, we're looking at so now we're looking at a collaborative care clinic, right? Well, that's fine. We know that that's the way the health court is going. But I mean, what are the timelines for a collaborative care clinic? Are we looking at two years, three years, four years? And and the problem with the collaborative care clinic, like we know that that will free up space for the ER doctor. Naturally, if we have the ER doctors in Bonavista right now who are seeing up to 80 patients a day because there's no, I mean, it's closed on times, plus there's no family doctors. So, uh, so okay, so if you cut it down, like if you, if you have a collaborative care clinic and you cut that number down to 50, if you cut it down to 20, I mean, the bottom line is you still need that ER doctor. If somebody got an emergency, a heart attack, whatever. I mean, there's a lot of issues there that are being overlooked and, and nobody brings up. It's just all on their blanket now. Doctors, and we don't have doctors. But that is not the case in Bona Vista. We had those three physicians who were willing to come. So, I mean, why aren't they signed? And we, you'll get to run around. We've been getting to run around in our group for months. We got emails from all kinds of people, Eastern out all over the place. And you know what it is? It's all stalling tactics. Oh, we can't do this because somebody else is involved in it. Then when you contact that person, oh, well, we can't do it because somebody else is involved in it. But the bottom line is those people who are in that emergency room needs to see a doctor. Reg, how are you involved in this uh, effort now to, uh, that was supposed to take place tonight? It's been moved to next Wednesday. We are a small, we are four, a four-person group who uh, basically are just, just uh, local citizens who, who volunteered and uh, started to ask some questions as to what the problems were with, with healthcare in Bonavista. And our, when we started out, uh, and we never started out as a group to, uh, you know, uh, try to uh, get doctors. We, we started out because we saw where we were losing services, basic services. Right. I mean, uh, we Rich, had people we're... being sent to Clarenville for blood work, and uh, we had people being sent for little things that they could have done in Bonavista. And so this was where our group started. But right. once we, we got along so far, we caught our first meeting, was at the summer past. Well, then it snowballed into the doctor situation. I gotcha. Reg, we're up to news time, so I have to leave it there. Yeah. Do you mind giving okay. us your last name? Dirtle. Dirtle. Very yeah. good. All right. Uh, all the best and now. So, so the meeting that was the meeting that was scheduled for tonight at Discovery Collegiate has been pushed to next Wednesday, February 22nd, same time, same place. Exactly. And all thank right. Thank you very much. And you have a good day. You too. Thanks, Reg. And we're up to news time now with uh, Jolene Grime. And a busy, busy last half hour of the show. We're going to try and get through our callers. Uh, John, you're on the air. Hello, John. Yes. Uh, I'm calling on the windmill. On the windmill? Yes. Okay. Yeah, we had a lady out here in Maine that was right against it. I don't hear much about it, about it right now, but I forgot to call in a while ago. And, uh, she could all, uh, go to, out to uh, Ramia. They got them right in among the houses there. 
and uh, I was watching TV several times now since they happened to be showing up around Ontario, lots of windmills and all over windmills. The mayor of, uh, where is it to, down, down towards you people? Uh, oh, my God. It's uh, one of the towns near, near St. John's. Uh, oh, my God, I can't think of the name. Please. That's fine. Yeah, continue. Yeah, but, but anyway, this mayor is uh, right for it, too. He wants it. So, I mean, you know, it's a good way to go. I mean, uh, you know, I've been talking to uh, a fellow that works with them. He's from here, uh, Hogan. And, you know, he explained it out to me. And I knew before he explained to me that it was a good good way to go, you know. But, right. So you support it? Oh, definitely. Fully. Yeah. Uh, what For what reason? Economic? Uh, climate? Economics work. Economics, very little pollution, hardly any pollution. You know, it's going to put work, 150 jobs in Stephenville, and 50 on the port of Port Peninsula. And you know, it's a, it's a good thing. They're all over. I mean, you go and like I just said, over in Ramia, they're right in the town. You know, maybe she should, she should go over there. You know, where the ones that's against it. She said there's 85 percent out there, but that's uh, that's not right. Yeah, and uh, well, this project, if it goes ahead, it still hasn't uh, received uh, full approval, I understand, but it's going through the process, um, is going to see quite a few windmills go up. Yeah, there's going to be a lot. Yeah, there's going to be a lot. And I guess uh, some people are concerned about how that will change the landscape or uh, the impact it will have on a variety of things. Yeah, well... uh they, they were figuring that they'd lose their houses. That's not going to be, never, you know. And, and uh, there's so many of them going to go up on the mountains, and there's so many out close to the ocean part of the port. port. All right. Well, John, uh, thanks for your call this morning. Really appreciate it. Uh, but up around the mainland, you see them. I've talked to the public that throw down from Alberta. They're all over the place up there. So, yeah. Anyway, thanks for your time, and uh, you're doing a good job. All right. Appreciate your call. Thank you. Yeah, bye now. All right. Bye bye. We're going to go now to uh, Felix Clark. Hello, Felix. Yes. Good morning, Linda. Good morning. Ah, uh, that's first time caller for. Well, welcome to the show. What brings you to us? Uh, I just want to call in. Um, uh, I just want to pass along. Uh, Condolences to uh, the Hickey family. Uh, her, their mom passed away on the weekend there on Saturday, and Rebecca Hickey, and she was a mayor in this town for uh, 37 years. What town is that? Town of Terranceville. Oh, Terranceville. Okay. Yeah. So I just want to pass along condolences on behalf of the town council here and the town as well. So she, she served as mayor served, for how long, you said? 36 years? Ter- 37. 37 years, just imagine. To the best imagine. of my knowledge, yeah. And she also would spend a lot of time with the fire department as secretary and other things, I guess, there. So well involved in the town. Yes, definitely. Well, we're so sorry to hear that. Yeah, it's uh, sad. But uh, she certainly served the town well, for sure. Well, I'm glad you let us know. I'm so sorry to hear that uh, she's passed, and our deepest condolences to the people of the town of Terrenceville and her family. Yes, thank you. And uh, 
like I said, she served a lot of time in, with the fire department as well, right? So she was well known here and uh, very nice person. And uh, any word on the uh, on the funeral arrangements or anything? Uh, I don't have the details on it yet, but uh, uh, I, I haven't been in contact with, with anyone to be honest with you with the family. So uh, I, I think there's something posted on Facebook there on obituaries. Oh, okay, great. And and people in the area would know where to go anyway you know, to get yeah, that information. Definitely. Yeah. Well, yeah, uh, Felix, we appreciate your call. Uh, former mayor of Terrenceville, Rebecca Hickey, has uh, passed away. Very sad. Yes, it is. Yeah. Thank you for your call. And you're welcome. And thanks for the, letting me on there. Alrighty. Okay. Okay. Bye bye. Oops, turned myself off. Sorry about that. We're going to go now to uh, Douglas Moore. You're on the air. Hello. Hello, Doug. Yeah, good morning, Linda. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Fine, thank you very much. Um, sir. Just want to call quickly and say a few words about the um, day being the, the uh, 41st anniversary of the singing of the Ocean Ranger, of course, a momentous day in the history of our province. For certain, still resonates so deeply today. And so it should. I was involved with a bunch of a, a number of other Newfoundland lawyers who represented various families when that uh, disaster took place in February 1982. You know, and uh, I got to say that overall, it was quite a very difficult situation for us here in Newfoundland representing the families. Just quickly to talk about this, just to let people know the context when the Ocean Ranger sank. I mean, all hands were lost. There were 54, I believe, Newfoundland men there, and Newfoundland lawyers represented them. And we, in order to be able to try to maximize on the amount of damages or money we could get for the uh, for the families, we had to get jurisdiction in the United States because that United States has different rules with respect to loss of life at sea than Canada does. So we engaged lawyers in New York and in uh, in, in Louisiana and also in Texas to go and represent us in the United States. And we had many meetings uh, with the, with Mobile and Exxon and all these people at the time. And ultimately, we did not get, we were not successful. Uh, we were tossed out of the United States uh, after a court hearing down in uh, New Orleans back in 1983. We came back to Canada and then we had to deal with the uh, the Newfoundland lawyers in St. John's who represent the insurance companies. But I think overall, you know, the families did as, as well as they could back in the day. And, and one of the things about the Ocean Ranger was that a lot of the Newfoundland workers who were out there were not making nearly the money, of course, that they're making today in the offshore. The offshore was a fledgling industry at the time, the oil industry. But today is totally different. But I think the work, I uh, just want to remember all those uh, Newfoundland uh, men and families today and that uh, momentous day in our, in our lives and uh, never to be forgotten. And I think the fact that the Ocean Ranger sank and, and the work that was done with the Royal Commission afterward made life at sea today a lot better and more palatable for those men and women today who are out there uh, working offshore. So remember the Ocean Ranger and let us never forget and remember the families today who uh, lost somebody very important to them on that great day. Thank you. Representing those families at that time must have been, as you indicated, you know, dealing with American law and uh, American owners and all the rest of it. It must have been so complex. Well, it was, yeah, it was, it was all new to us too, basically, don't forget, you know, this stuff, I mean, it was never, this kind of stuff ever went on, you know, uh, and, and I remember going to meetings down in New York City with, with and getting a room, a boardroom with about 30 lawyers on the other side representing, uh, representing all Otico and Mobile and Mitsubishi and all these guys who were out there involved and here we were in St. John's in, in Newfoundland, a few of us, not many, Jerry O'Brien and 
Leo Barry, uh, you know, a few guys like that. Diane Smith, who's now passed away, Gillian Butler, myself, represented these um, these families, and it was great uh, to do that to represent them. And uh, we had American lawyers, but it was momentous. There's no doubt, a very very imp- sad day, of course. And, and we, you know, women and children lost, and uh, women, uh, women and children lost their father and grandfather, and all the rest of it. And there was a pair of brothers, I believe, passed away. I believe young men from out in CBS. So it's a uh, it changed the world forever. But and it was such a very difficult time. But we did it as best we could and uh, we just want to I want to call it a and make sure nobody forgets the Ocean Ranger. But well Doug I'm, I'm glad you did so. Uh, thanks so much. Yeah. Pleasure Linda. Keep up the good work. All the best to you. All right. Same to you. It's a long time since you and I spoke. Yeah but uh, we hear you from time to time. You hear me, I hear you more than you hear me. Which is probably, <laughs> which is probably good to do for sure. I appreciate your call this morning. Thanks. Thank you. Already. Bye-bye. Lawyer Doug Moore is there, based in uh, Harbor Grace, of course, um, uh, Conception Bay North. Um, Anyway, uh, remembering the Ocean Ranger and representing some of the families uh, who uh, suffered such a terrible, terrible loss at that time. We're going to take a short break, uh, and uh, when we come back, we hope to speak with you. And we're back into the last few minutes of the show. We're going to try and get through the callers who have been waiting ever so patiently on the line. Lucy is on the air. Hello, Lucy. Oh, hi, Linda. How are you doing today? Good. I uh, actually uh, had a little chat there a few days ago um, regarding the uh, the digital ID. And uh, I since had a, had several um, seniors contact me asking questions. And uh, <laughs> I said, really, I, I, I'm learning about this myself. Yeah, but I, I'm going to uh, interrupt you for a second. Um, you had mentioned, you, you called the show on Monday, is that correct? And you uh, yes. had mentioned something to do with the health uh, transfer being connected to uh, uh, a digital ID. That's not the case. Um, can you remember when I hung up, you were making reference to the uh, Western Standard article? Yes, but he was, uh, obviously it was very short and there's no, no yeah. detail there. And I can't find anything other than that reference uh, about it. Uh, we've spoken to the Premier. Uh, I've looked at every source that I can find and it's not the case. It's simply not okay. the case. But the, what the, the article that I'm reading here, it's uh, well. There's there was two. One was uh, yeah. I think it's it's causing a lot of confusion. Yeah. One was there is no it, there is no obligation for a uh, digital ID. Can, can I can I just get my word in, please? Yeah. Um. The the uh, February third was the article um, through the Western Standard that I was making reference to. Like I, I really am learning all this myself too. I don't. I'm not an expert in any of this, for sure. Um, but uh, it did say it did say there in the in the in the February third. Um, uh, Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe says the government will not participate in any type of national health care uh, digital ID program as a condition to receive funding for health care right. that our government has a condition. Yeah. And all the, premiers, okay. all the premiers have said that, by the way. Okay. Yeah. So then, um, I, I, like I said, Linda, I'm not an expert on this. I'm learning myself. I have many, many, I, I volunteer with seniors, so I have many, many people contacting me asking me to, uh, you know, get to the bottom of all this. I, I, I don't really know. Yeah, no, th- so that, just too. to be clear, it's not a condition. Um, okay. And they are talking about uh, increased sharing of um, health information, but it's in an aggregate form. Okay. Uh, not personalized, but uh, like um, how many people are on your uh, wait list for knee and, and hip surgery. That kind of stuff. 
Okay, because the the uh, the thirteenth February one I read, uh, Mo did say that he was in agreements. Uh, being determined and more discussions will happen with Trudeau government before the deal gets finalized, but it will be finalized within the next few weeks. Um, basically, um, what I was looking at was the uh, the concern, like even if it's like the condition is one thing, but the concern. But there is no condition. Just to be clear, there's no condition related to that. Okay, so my question is: This new digital ID coming in is it a national? There is health? no digital ID coming in. Now, some jurisdictions are introducing digital IDs for other reasons, but it's not connected to healthcare, and it's not a requirement. Well, apparently, um, Fury said that we're we're doing the pilot project for the digital ID healthcare. No, we're doing a digital no? uh, a pilot project for digital ID. It's opt in. Uh, they haven't released the details on that just yet, by the way. They announced that that's going to happen. It's a pilot project. It's opt-in, and it's for people who already do um, a lot of business with government, let's say through um, motor registration, and you want to get your motor registration redone online. It's so that you have some kind of an identification associated with you uh, while you're doing business with government so that they can say, ah, this is who you are, and this is how um, we can proceed seat that kind of okay. thing so it's nothing to do with health care and it's not op- it's not required it's going to be a pilot project just to see how it works to i guess streamline services for people who are already using the service and want to go that route yes because i did i did have someone say that uh, it might be connected to the my gov nl account or something yes that's right yeah so for things and like like i said maybe uh for your uh, hunter's permit or your um motor registration that kind of stuff otherwise you have to pre- if you're doing it all online and some people prefer to do it online that's the way of the world now if you're doing it online then you have to present you, you take a picture of your driver's license and send it along and take a picture of this and send it along and those kinds of things or fill out extra forms this way this will be for people who use that service and use it all the time it will be an easy way to say here i am here here here's the information you need right so we're trying to put it all on the one in the one area is that what you're saying for people who want to use it yes yes okay now the other thing uh that we were talking about you and I were was if we put everything in one area it's going to be easier to be hacked we're going to be more vulnerable um I hadn't seen for some, yeah and, and that's why it, and again this hasn't been introduced yet it's being looked at as a pilot project and mm-hmm. it will be opt-in so I guess they're going to have to figure the all that stuff out but the details of that we don't know yet uh, because it hasn't been formally announced we know that it's coming and it's a pilot project uh yeah. we'll see how it goes okay. That we don't we, we we know it's not started yet, but I think it's important for us to find out what's coming. Um, basically, because the senior that I was talking to was one of the ones of the thousand people who got hacked in the healthcare. Oh system. yeah, it's a it's a serious concern. She, There's no doubt. Yes. Yeah. She she got a letter come and she's very very upset about if this digital ID if if it if it does come in. I mean, we have to put everything on the one on the one uh, account. Um, her concern is the hacking yeah. and the other concern is a lot of seniors actually don't really use a lot of these uh, apps and computers and their phones and everything else so my my concern is yes it's optional now but down the road if it becomes you know uh, 
you have to have it's mandatory. Um, will these seniors be denied access? You know, like yeah. Well, we're not there yet, and uh, and certainly it's it it's not uh, as far as I know being contemplated, as far as being um, mandatory. So once the pilot project is finally uh, you know formally announced and we get more detail on it, um, you can rest assured all the appropriate questions will be asked at that time. We want to get one more caller on though. I really appreciate your call, Lucy. Thanks. Okay, can I say one more thing, please? Very quickly. Okay. Um, I was going to say about the cash. Cash? Okay. Go ahead. Hello? Yes, go ahead. Oh, I just wanted to say one other thing. Um, uh, When the COVID-19 app came in, the the gentleman, uh, he couldn't actually use cash during that time, and he couldn't. He didn't have a card, and he doesn't know how to use anything, just digital cards and everything. So uh, the, the uh, person at the Dominion actually used her card and debit and paid for his food, which was very nice for her. Okay. So, you know, it's just, it's just in our province, our demographics, everyone else might be using it. But right now in our province, a lot of seniors are not into all this online stuff and digital stuff. And that's just my main concern that I have coming from all of these seniors. Right. And I, I get it. I, I, I get that. Uh, but uh, okay. like I said, it, it, they're not going to, yeah, we don't know any details on it yet. And it's not going to be mandatory as far as I know. And uh, we were hoping to speak to Kathy, who is going to talk about the Ocean Ranger disaster. Yeah. But we've lost yeah, her. Yes. Uh, the, the, the thing is, I mean, the COVID-19 wasn't mandatory either, the app. But you couldn't get into the restaurant or you couldn't get anywhere. It wasn't mandatory, but you couldn't access services. That's what the seniors are worried about. Yeah. And, of course, that was a whole different scenario, as you recall. We were in a, a public health emergency at that time yeah um yeah. all right uh lucy i really appreciate your uh, call thank you very much okay thank you very much Linda. Alrighty, bye-bye uh and uh, lucy's had the last word on uh, open line this morning stay tuned um uh, i'll not be doing on target today uh, richard duggan is uh sitting in for me thanks very much richard and he's going to be speaking with the mayor of gander uh, percy farwell no doubt to talk a little bit more about the conversation we've been having about obstetrical services and other concerns about healthcare, as well as uh, anything else that's happening in and around the town of Gander. Uh, so uh, stay tuned for that. That's coming up at one o'clock. Now we're going to listen to uh, VOCM's News at Noon with uh, Jolene Grimes. Stay tuned for that. Thanks very much.